Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, this is Sam Matterface and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport as we dissect a weekend like no other in the FA Cup with TalkSport football correspondent Alex Crook and um, hopefully ex-Manchester City and West Ham winger and one-time top man model Trevor Sinclair. Plays it down the left and it's collected now into the path of Rice who skates into the box. He takes on one defender and smashes it into the top of the net. And Declan Rice rescues West Ham United in stoppage time away at Agra. Diddy Kiddy halted before they got giddy. And Parker gets lost as he attempts to go through Boreham Wood. There's triumphs for Saints, Frank's first game. And as Nottingham Forest thrash Leicester, the issue of disorder rears its head. Liverpool and City steam through. Chelsea are held up by Plymouth. An unrest for Manchester United fans, but Borough are going wilder. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello, gents. What a breathless weekend. Uh, Trevor, have you recovered from the city ground? Trevor? Where's Trevor? Has anyone seen Trevor? Is he here? Crookie, can you see? No, he's not. He's not here. Trevor? Is he, uh, he, I know he got up really early this morning to do Times Radio Breakfast. Maybe, maybe he's gone back to bed. Maybe that's what, what it is. Maybe we should try and ring him to see if he's... If he's gone back to sleep. Trevor? Let's see. Trevor is up in the northwest of England, near Blackpool, on the Fylde Coast. It's about minus two up there this morning. It's not far from you, is it? Can you just drive up and bang on the door rather loudly? It's about 55 minutes from here, actually. Welcome to the O2 messaging service. Oh, dear. The person you are calling is unable to take your call. Do you want to, Lucy, do you want to leave him an abusive message? To re-record your message, producer Lucy. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Hiya, Trev. Uh, it's producer Lucy. I just want to say you need to get your priorities straight. You know, you're always on time for Times Radio. Jim White, Simon Jordan. There's no loyalty here. Sort your life out, mate. <laughs> Speak to you in a bit. I think that'll do the trick, Luce. Well done. Yeah. I like that. I'd have just called him a lazy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Crookie was doing Darcy on Ice last night. Well played, pal. Uh, but we haven't got time to reflect on your use of the phrase everyone loves shiny disco balls uh, because we, we have to get to the football. And no better place to start than with two non-league teams. Hello from Agra. Wherever you are in the world, let me bring you inside this small neatly appointed arena in towards the edge of the six-yard box. Comes back and is smashed in by Penny and Kidderminster Harry is leading against West Ham United. Alex Penny with the goal. Bowen and Yarmolenko's got it back to Bowen inside the area. Left foot, he drives the ball in towards the near post. It's saved by Simpson down low and then a tackle by Preston stops the second effort from Bowen. My gut instinct tells me there will be one chance. There will be one chance. There always is. 
So they're not over the line yet, Kidderminster. Into the path of Rice, who skates into the box. He takes on one defender and smashes it into the top of the net. And Declan Rice rescues West Ham United in stoppage time away at Agra. Yarmolenko sends it forward. It comes towards the inside of the box. It falls to Bowen and Bowen taps it home. And again in stoppage time, Kidderminster Harriers' hearts are broken. And they're broken by Jared Bowen. West Ham have won the tie. But Kidderminster Harriers have won the day. It's finished. Kidderminster Harriers won. West Ham two. Dealing in seconds now at the vitality here on TalkSport. Bora Wood so close. Anthony's corner flicked away at the far post by Stevens. Comes out to Christie. The full-time whistle has gone. And Bora Wood of the National League have created the shock of the round. They knock out Championship High Flyers Bournemouth by a goal to nil. Thirty-seven-year-old Mark Ricketts, the Boreham Wood captain, scored the only goal of the game at the Vitality late on Sunday evening. Uh, the most famous goal in Boreham Wood's history, and what a finish it was—precise and in the corner. The manager was crying at the end. They're a National League team playing their first ever fourth-round game. They beat third in the Championship, who are fourteen games unbeaten. What an FA Cup occasion, Crookie! Yeah, it was, and uh, not that you're going to be slow to remind us, but you deserve a bit of credit at this point because you did yeah. call it as, as the as the shock of the round, your bold claim uh, from last week's podcast, and it's a great story. Um, when the draw was made for the fourth round of the FA Cup, I think we all turned our noses up a bit, but actually there were some fantastic ties, some fantastic stories, and I do feel like the competition that's had a bit of a kicking uh, over the past uh, 10 years or so has had a bit of a revival and stories like Boreham Wood going away from home and beating a team flying high in the championship only helped their reputation. Having said that, the Bournemouth team sheet, lots of changes from Scott Parker. Having said that he respect the competition, he did the opposite. And from a confidence point of view, Bournemouth's not exactly pulling up too many trees with their recent form in the championship. This isn't really going to do them too many favours. It's embarrassing, isn't it, for Bournemouth and I for dis- Scott Parker? I disagree with you a little bit about the whole idea of the FA Cup getting a bit of a kicking over the last 10 years. Maybe from the outside looking in, everybody always says, oh, yeah, it's finished because people rotating players and you know, teams like Liverpool had not taken it particularly seriously, especially over the last five or six years. But ultimately, every year we get a fantastic story. Every year we get a team knocking out a, a, a bigger team Wigan knocked out Manchester City a few years ago as they tried to hunt down a quadruple away from home on a Monday night. I remember going up there with with Matt Holland to do that game. Um, so I think it always produces some of these big stories. I just don't think we've ever had a weekend where all of those stories have come together in such a surprising fashion. Because let's be honest, as you said, when the draw was made, we didn't expect to have such entertainment uh, from this weekend. Uh, but they deserved it, Borenwood, I thought. They, they almost took the lead when Nat Phillips dawdled and almost gave up a penalty. Luke Garrard, who have come to know actually over the course of this run, said over and over again, we want to be a good team. And they are. They're a really good, well-coached team. And that makes a massive difference. They don't concede many goals. As I mentioned on Thursday night, uh, Thursday's podcast, when I was making my big, bold claim that they would upset uh, Bournemouth, I said it was because they're so resolute defensively. They're belligerent. They don't let goals in. They put that on display last night. Yeah, the keeper made a terrific double save as well um, t- towards the end of the 90s. So if you're going to pull off an upset, you, you need your goalkeeper in stellar form as he was. To their credit, Bournemouth did have a real go to try and at least force the game to extra time. But 
he deserves all the plaudits, Luke Garrard. He's clearly a, a, a top coach, probably somebody who will be on the radar, I think, of football league clubs. He might even end up taking Boreham Wood uh, into the football league because, again, use that word confidence. This is really going to give them confidence to kick on with their own promotion push. And what a reward as well, away from home in round five, Goodison Park, one of the iconic venues in English football against Frank Lampard, a true icon of the game. It's, it's going to be a fabulous occasion. Yeah, and uh, Luke Garrett's very quick to talk about that. You know, I'm going to pit my wits against Frank Lampard, against Paul Clement, against Ashley Cole, against Joe Edwards, all these coaches that everyone's been talking about over the last seven or eight days. You know, they had a terrific performance, and we'll get to that a little bit later on Saturday against Brentford. But it's a great time for them, actually, as well, isn't it? I mean, because it gives them the opportunity to progress to a, an FA Cup uh, quarter final. Congratulations to Ball. And Wood, brilliant performance, and the headline makers, I think, of the weekend. Kidderminster, oh, I mean, they should have been the headline makers of the weekend, shouldn't they? They're out in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, but, the, the, you know, they, the, the same must be said about them as has been said about uh, Boreham Wood. They're a proper team, a brilliantly coached team, 115 places below West Ham United in the league pyramid and they absolutely scored the hammers for most of the game until Declan Rice's brilliant, wonderful intervention right at the very end and even then they stuck in it to the end of extra time. 32-year-old journeyman Morgan Smith who'd seen off Diop could hardly walk towards the end. I mean, he absolutely killed Diop. I mean, I don't even think Diop was ever going to come back from Kidderminster. Um, he left at half-time. Uh, I think he went into the, the social club and I think he's going to stay there because uh, uh, Murray Morgan-Smith was just brilliant for the whole game. Um, and then you had the situation where Amari Stirring, a laid-back St. Kids and Nevis International, free kicks unreadable that were giving Alphonse Ariola heart palpitations throughout the course of the game. And then right at the end, right in the last seconds of extra time, Jared Bowen pops up and scores what ends up being the, the winning goal. I won't lie. I won't lie about this. Sitting in the Kidderminster end with all the Kidderminster fans, I got a little bit emotional. I know, I know, I know you might think that's a little bit pathetic. I know you might think that I'm, I'm a little bit of a soft southerner here, but ultimately, I, I welled up. No, I can understand that. The line I used at the end of uh, the game, I was commentating at Stamford Bridge, same time as your game at Kidderminster, uh, was the FA Cup has the ability um, to make or break hearts. And it was heartbreaking uh, for Kidderminster, as you say, to concede so late. What a fabulous story that would have been if they could have seen it through an even bigger upset uh, than the one we, we've just been talking about at Boreham Wood. Because this isn't a West Ham side with that soft centre they've had in recent years. This is a proper, uh, well-organised machine. And for Kidderminster to go toe-to-toe and, and more than match them for 120 minutes is, is credit to them. They are full-time, uh, but still there's a, a gap in fitness levels between Kidderminster Harriers and West Ham. And I think the overriding emotion for David Moyes at the end of the game was, was probably one of relief uh, that his side had avoided uh, a potential humiliation. And, uh, yeah, great credit to Kidderminster. Fantastic occasion. Adrian Durham spearheading our coverage seemed to pop up everywhere. I expected him to be on the bench uh, at one stage. Well, he was at one uh, stage. He was, honestly. <laughs> no joking, right? I was with him. Uh, obviously, I was commentating with Alvin Martin. We were at the back of the, the stand, about seven or eight rows from the pitch. He had a roving mic, right? So he could go anywhere he wanted. He started uh, our broadcast pitch side, talking to the players as they were coming into uh, Agbra. And then halfway through the game, he, he went and sat in with the supporters. Then he moved round to sit with the physios in the second half of the game. It was brilliant. And do you know what? That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's taking a programme like TalkSport's Game Day programme and immersing yourself in an FA Cup tie like that. And I think he did that. We did that 
brilliantly. I thought, you know, we captured the day. It's a different club, Kidderminster Harriers. You know, you can go there. And I had the experience last week. I was off last week. So I went to Berry, AFC Berry against Ilkley Town. And, you know, you can sit amongst the supporters with a beer and you can go into the social club afterwards and chat with the players and the manager. And that's what it feels like down at Kidderminster. And that connection between supporters and footballers is really important. The FA Cup brings that home. You know, Declan Rice was so impressed with the setup there, with the with the way that they'd played, that he went to shower with the Kidderminster players. Yeah, and hung around at the end of the game to sign everybody's autograph, as I understand it. And actually, while we're on that, I'm glad we're focusing on the on the on the good side of football. You know, the the atmosphere at Kidderminster that, that didn't turn ugly. Declan Rice immersing himself in the occasion. The West Ham fans and players treating Kidderminster with the utmost respect because once again there were some pretty disturbing scenes up and down the country this weekend, not just in the FA Cup, but in the Morgan Bolton game as well. And I just want to say, football was taken away um, from the match-going spectator for 18 months. Now that we're back, why are some people so intent on abusing it? Just behave yourselves. Just be nice. For goodness sake, let's cherish this beautiful game of ours rather than make headlines for the wrong reasons. That idiot Leicester fan who came onto the pitch after another fantastic occasion in the FA Cup to try and attack the Nottingham Forest players. I mean, what goes through your minuscule brain cell? That really annoyed me this weekend. Yeah, it was um, worrying, actually. And like, listen, when I was a kid, and this is going back a few years now, um, we used to support teams from behind fences. We were caged in by the government because football violence had got so bad during the 80s that in the early part of the 90s, end of the 80s, early part of the 90s, we were behind a fence. You know, when a goal would go in, we would be crushed up against that fence because everybody would charge forward because they were so scared about people coming onto the pitch and the violence spilling out onto the playing surface. Now, nobody wants a return to those days. And obviously, I don't think that would happen anyway because of the safety concerns. But at Wembley Stadium, there is Cat's Cradles, which is a a safety mechanism designed to stop people from transgressing from the uh, stands onto the playing surface. And as a result, no one ever uh, gets onto the playing surface at uh, Wembley. But do we really need to invest in that sort of deterrent around every single football ground? Because the authorities will start taking action. You know, they may even determine that somebody's got to play a game behind closed doors if this continues. It's becoming too often, it's happening too much, and it's getting worse in terms of the level of violence that ends up going with it. You know, occasionally it's sort of like, come on, take a selfie. That's how it started. And then it's gone to the point where a fan has come out of the stands and thrown punches at rival players. That's scary because what's the next stage? Yeah. Yeah, 100% agree. And there seems to be at least one incident, if not more, every weekend up and down the country. And I just can't get my head around it. I don't understand why people go to a football match intent on causing trouble. Maybe it's more of a reflection of where we are as a society at this moment in time, but it needs to stop and it needs to stop now. Um, Going back to the Kidderminster game, when I discussed it with Roy Keane and uh, Ian Wright uh, on Sunday ahead of the Liverpool game, um, they proved why they were heartless top ice-cold professionals. Because after I was sort of regaling my tale of being a little bit heartbroken uh, on behalf of Kidderminster Harriers, uh, Wrighty was like, good, bam, get out there, Declan Rice, show them what you're made of, boom. They think they're going through. They start thinking about dreaming about who they're going to get in the fifth round, what big draw they're going to have down here at Agbra. The manager's thinking about the next big job he's going to get, probably in the Football League. Wallop, have some of that. Out. 
it's over. The ref the FA Cup. He said, he actually said, well, the FA Cup is about that, isn't it? You know, it's about building up dreams and then it's about crushing them. And I thought, oh, that's a bit hard. That's brutal. That is brutal. brutal. But, uh... but, but that's why they were cold, hard killers of footballers and why they won so many uh, trophies. And I'm sure the West Ham players um, and management won't have been uh, feeling sorry for Kidderminster. As I say, they will just be relieved uh, to take their place uh, in the hat for the next round. But uh, once again, we've seen a game where they have struggled for goals, even against non-league opposition, with the exception of Jarrah Bowen, who, by the way, after you mocked my claims that he has a chance of being in the World Cup squad, he's had more goal involvements this season in terms of goals scored and assists than any other English English player. player, So Gareth Southgate has to pick him. He doesn't have to pick him. He will pick him for March, but he won't take him to the World Cup. That's see, my prediction. See, now now who's being a, a heart trampler? I'm not trampling on anyone's hearts. I'm just suggesting that it is unlikely that that is going to happen. But only because there are other players who have delivered on a higher stage, more regularly, already ahead of him in the pecking order. But we shall see. Things do change. Um, right, on we go. And Chelsea and Manchester United probably had weekends to forget. Middlesbrough's last cup trip to Old Trafford saw them eliminate Manchester United. A shootout success in the League Cup, but a repeat tonight would be far more significant. Shaw on the overlap for him, stands it in towards Ronaldo, and it was a dramatic bicycle kick from him, but he didn't really get the power in it. Shaw into the feet of Popper's brought down. Penalty to Manchester United. It's an easy decision for Anthony Taylor. It's the familiar right-footed approach, and he's put it wide as Cristiano Ronaldo misses a penalty. I'm shocked. I'm genuinely stunned at the fact that Ronaldo misses from the spot. Here's Bruno Fernandes. Long right-footed ball over the top. Flag stayed down again here. Sancho's got it. Left-hand side of the penalty area, and it's in. Far side, he's put it in for what more is flicked it over the goalkeeper. Crook slides it in. Now, was there a hand on its way through for Watmore? I think this may well stand. And it's been given. You're right, Jim. In a repeat of the 2015 League Cup tie between these two. Dead level after extra time. What a piece on this occasion. But who will be able to hold their nerve in the shootout? A save from Joe Lumley here, and he's written his name in Middlesbrough history. It's Ilanga against Lumley. Oh, he's missed it! Over the bar! Anthony Ilanga, the villain! And Middlesbrough have knocked Manchester United out of the FA Cup! And that's why it's the greatest cup competition in the world. Middlesbrough beat Manchester United as young Anthony Ilanga ballooned his penalty into the Stratford end at 11.02 on Friday night but as much as Middlesbrough were disciplined from the second half onwards let's have it right they should have been 3-0 down by half time this is a Manchester United meltdown story even though Middlesbrough played very very well and Chris Wilder's done a fantastic job there 30 shots one goal 71% possession massive chances missed penalty from Ronaldo I couldn't find the XG stats for this game but I'm going to make them up because I'm sure they're around about 3.8 to 0.4 or something like that. It was so imbalanced, especially in that first 45 minutes. But ultimately, United lost their seventh penalty shootout in eight and are facing the prospect now, Crookie, of five seasons without a trophy for the first time since the 70s. Well, it will be five seasons without a trophy because they've got absolutely no chance of winning the Champions League. Actually, I had uh, Andy Brassel on the Tranjura Express in the car driving back from Dancing on Ice on Sunday and he was saying this tie against Atletico Madrid 
is basically a, a matchup between two teams trying to save their season in a competition they've got absolutely no hope of winning. Um, and I think he probably hit several nails on the head. The most worrying element of this game for me, I spoke to my son on Sunday and he said, what was the score on Friday night, Dad? And I said, oh, we lost on penalties. Um, Drew won one. He said, who scored? And I couldn't remember <laughs> who scored Manchester United's goal. So either uh, that's because I'd had a few beers uh, when I was watching the game, watching your commentary, or it's because I've tried uh, to blank the occasion out of my memory. They should have been out of sight at half-time. Very un-Ronaldo-like missing a penalty. Several other good chances. Even at 1-0 up, Bruno Fernandes has missed a one-on-one, -on -one, which nine times out of ten, as Ralph Ranić said afterwards, he would have buried. But Middlesbrough, to their credit, stuck in the game. The goal is controversial because it was handball, but it's not controversial because the laws were applied correctly, as you said, in commentary. And the penalty shootout, two things. One, does somebody want to tell Dean Henderson that in order to save a penalty, you actually have to try and make an effort at diving uh, to either corner? And two, why was Alanga, uh, the youngest player in the Manchester United team, put under that pressure when Luke Shaw and Phil Jones uh, were both out there and available to take a spot kick? I spoke to a former player um, on Saturday morning and he said that those two bottled it basically and put the pressure on Alanga. But this highlights a wider issue. We had the, the situation where Jesse Lingard in the build-up to the game came out on social media to deny a claim made by his manager in a press conference. That's at least the second time that's happened in recent weeks. I think I read that Ralph Ranić has hired um, Raphael Honigstein to be his PR man. I think it might be a little bit too late for that, by the way. But why, do, why does he need a PR man? I mean, uh, basically, what well, he's got he to do Well, because he can't communicate. Is, well, 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 you, <laughs> do you want to know the real story about what happened with Jesse Lingard? He didn't even speak to Ralph Ranić. Yeah. He had a conversation with John Murtagh. Murtagh regaled that conversation to Ranić. Ranić spouted it in the press conference and Jesse then said, well, hold on, hold on, I didn't say that. And it's just completely unnecessary. The, he should have had a conversation with his player. I don't want to harp back, but can you imagine that situation evolving under Sir Alex Ferguson? It wouldn't. But we've spoken about this privately. I think I said it publicly on TalkSport on Sunday night. When you look at Ralph Ranić's CV... He isn't equipped to be the Manchester United manager. This is by far the biggest management job he's ever taken on. He might be an absolute whiz when it comes to the administrative side of football, but he isn't equipped to, to manage that dressing room. He's proved that already. His tactics at times are baffling. And I think if Manchester United want to save their season, the only way they can save their season is by trying to win the Champions League. You're not going to say actually, fire him, are you? Yeah, they actually need to make a big decision here. And say, Thank you, Ralph, for your efforts. But let's, again, it goes back to what I said three years when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was there. Get a proper manager, for goodness sake. Well, I, the, the thing is, is that you and I both said this, you know, just before everyone gets excited because he has been appointed and he's the hipster's choice, just have a little look about what he's done before. He's worked with some great players and he's been excellent on the administrative side. He's built clubs from nothing to something. But as a manager, as a head coach, what has he won, for example, and who has he won it with? He's actually won... Two trophies. One, the German League Cup, which now doesn't exist and hasn't existed for 15 years. And it only existed for 10 years. It's a bit like the Zenith Data Systems Cup uh, back in the day. Uh, for, does he keep the medal or does he have to hand it back when the cup <laughs> ceased to exist? Right, so he won that um, and nobody else really took part. I mean, I think, I think Bayern actually won it a couple of times, but actually probably won it more than a couple of times because they won everything. Um, and the only other trophy that he has won, and we're not counting the Intertoto Cup because there was three winners of the Intertoto Cup the season that he won it because it's just a qualification campaign to get into uh, the UEFA Cup back in the day. It's basically a pre-season friendly tournament. Yeah. The only major honour that he won 
was the 2011 German Cup. Now, there's one issue with this. He actually only took over Schalke 04 for the final. The semi-finals and all of the preceding rounds were won by Felix Magat, who was the manager in charge at the time. He took over just for the final. And they won that final, 5-0, well done, against the second division team, Duisburg. So let's be completely honest about the guy's CV. Very nice guy, great orator, obviously has a great brain about football, but can he coach at the highest level? He has never displayed that, and he does not, a bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, have the qualifications to run Manchester United. I'm sorry, that isn't the case. United have gone from having a PE teacher to a science teacher. Have you ever met a science teacher? Yeah, I had one at school, funnily enough. <laughs> I mean, that was a long time ago now. I'm sure you can't remember it. But he looked like Ralph Ranick. Did he? He didn't have the respect to the classroom either. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Probably best to move on, put that on the back, Bunsen burner. Um, right, um, we did talk about the, the the goal handball. I mean, the problem with the, it is in the laws of the game now because they, rubbish they law. changed rubbish the law, law of the game. Well, it's not actually. The idea was is to try and stop what happened last season where people were getting penalised for handballs on the halfway line that, then when a goal was scored, we'd go back and say, oh yeah, but there was a handball in the build-up to it, which was ludicrous. So it has to be the next immediate action. It has to be that player who scores, who ends up uh, being penalised if you do handle the ball. So I understand the, the sort of the, the idea behind it, but I don't think that it, it, on this occasion, it was morally correct to allow the goal because without the touch of the hand, he loses control of the ball. But anyway, yeah. that's by the by. It was a goal. Middlesbrough were brilliant to get it and to hold on to their lead. I think Chris Wilder's done a fantastic job there with a collection of players, actually, all acquired under different managers. So he's had to try to build a dressing room culture from five or six years where Steve Gibson, the chairman of Middlesbrough, has chopped and changed the manager over a number of months and weeks, keeps giving those new managers, new players. So you find yourself five years on with a collection of players that don't necessarily all gel together brilliantly and are accumulated for different styles of football. Chris Wilder sort of tried to go, right, okay, I'm going to use this group and I'm going to put them into, into action in a certain way. Brilliantly has achieved success. I think it's nine wins in 11 games now for him. Okay, uh, Crookie, you were at um, Chelsea 2, Plymouth 1, and uh, that too provided major entertainment, didn't it? Oh, hold on. Talking of major entertainment, is that, is that Trevor of the Sinclair? How are you? No, I stood more. Sorry, sorry. Nice to know that Welcome. you were here. <laughs> oh, you've finally been raised from your slumber, uh, which is, uh, is listen. We'll, we'll get onto the games that you've been to very shortly. We're just about to talk about Chelsea versus Plymouth. We'll let you get settled in, and, and Crookie can tell you what he saw first of all. What I saw was uh, a really poor Chelsea performance. Uh, first and foremost, not for the first time uh, this season. I think the defensive players would have been a bit frustrated with those ahead of them. The fact that the two goals that Chelsea scored to get them out of trouble came from their fullbacks uh, highlights a real issue. Romelu Lukaku still only scored eight goals since his big money return to Stamford Bridge. He was so far off the pace, it was frightening, honestly. Uh, even against League One opposition, never looked like scoring. Uh, Mason Mount actually played quite well. Hudson had always flitted uh, in and out of the game. But Plymouth were, were good value for the... But Plymouth were good value for what their 1-0 lead. What were they? <laughs> what I just, I thought I'd correct myself there. Undervalued. Um, 
and some exceptional performances uh, for them. Houghton in midfield, great story. Churchy born, former Chelsea FA Youth Cup winning captain, really bossed the game uh, in the first half. It was his brilliant free kick that set up the uh, the opening goal, first goal in a Plymouth shirt for Gillespie, the, the central defender. I guess the shame for Plymouth was that they couldn't get into the dressing room with a 1-0 leading tat. The backhill finish from Athbelequeta getting Chelsea back on terms, the worst possible timing for them. And they did run out of gas a bit, Plymouth, in the second half, but still dug in, still took the game to extra time, conceded a, a sloppy goal and then had a, a penalty chance to take it uh, to extra time. But Kepa Aretha Balagra, who is good at saving penalties, made a, a decent stop to deny Hardy. It wasn't the best spot kick in the world. But again, like West Ham, it was relief for Chelsea, but really a victory that papers over an awful lot of cracks. They are a long way off the pace at the moment. If you're talking about, can they win the Champions League? Based on what I saw on Saturday, they've got no chance either. Um, Trevor, um, there's a bit of a problem with Romelu Lukaku, a bit of a problem with Chelsea's forwards, really, isn't there? I mean, beforehand, we probably saw this as an opportunity for Lukaku to find his shooting boots, smashing a few goals, but it's turned out that it ended up being another subdued display by the Belgium and maybe are we starting to think that the manager's system is not getting the best out of him or any of the other forwards because it doesn't look like Kai Havertz or Timo Werner have picked up goal scoring form. Yeah that's how I see it as well Um, you know you look at um, the situation with Reese James I think he was vital for their width and when he's not playing they don't seem to have any width. And obviously, Cesar Aspilicueta, good player as he is, he's been a fantastic servant for the football club, but everything's central. He's not got the energy to get up and down like Reese James. And I just see it as it's, it's too easy to defend against when you play against Chelsea. They're all too uh, central and um, they don't have the width. And when you're playing against them, if you can keep nice and compact in the middle, you will have a good chance of keeping clean sheets and stopping letting them create chances. I suppose the great news is, is that Rhys James boarded the plane to Abu Dhabi for the Club World Cup. Chelsea going off to Abu Dhabi to play in that competition over the next week, though their Premier League schedule has been curtailed as a, a result of that. Um, so him coming back is a major asset. But he's de- I mean, his delivery from wide areas is absolutely sensational. We must say, though, Cesar Athpilicueta's finish for the goal that he scored. It was Zola-esque, wasn't it, Trev? Outstanding. I, was, I didn't think he had it in him, I've got to be honest. Um, great contact. It was a good ball back from the byline. And it was one of them where you try it in training. Um, often it doesn't come off, um, but he, he caught it perfectly and it went right into the corner. The keeper had no chance. And it was a really, really good finish for a, for a defensive player. One of only two goals from 41 shots on goal. Crooked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But many of those shots weren't particularly testing, right, they did hit the woodwork three times, Chelsea, in the first half, and maybe at that stage they could have been forgiven for thinking it wasn't going to be their day. He actually scored another back heel from a corner at Athletic in the second half that was ruled out by offside. But that probably would have been um, a record for a fullback to score two back heels in one game. I'm not sure that's ever been done before. And <laughs> Trevor said that maybe he's not got the legs anymore. Actually, he covered every blade of grass at Athletic mm. and at times was Chelsea's biggest attacking asset, which again highlights an awful lot of issues. Uh, obviously, Thomas Tuchel missed the game, having tested positive for COVID. Spoke to his assistant, uh, Arno Mikels, afterwards. He was uh, all very smiley and clearly delighted to get through. They've got the uh, World Club Cup coming up this week. I think there might just be a nice distraction because at the moment, they're just not gelling and actually probably haven't all season. Even when they were winning games, um, they weren't really firing on all cylinders. 
Um, you mentioned Cesar F. Pelicueta obviously getting on in age. Do you think he, he slept in this morning as possible? He probably well, I think if he, he's a good pro, isn't he, um, yeah, F. Pelicueta? Yeah. So if they said to him, can you report for duty at 8am, he'd have turned up he at 8am, wouldn't he? probably would have been there. I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, um, right, it's not okay. like Trevor's ever done this before, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, let's get to uh, Forrest against Leicester and some of the other matches that we saw over the weekend. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. West Ham have won the tie, but Kidderminster Harriers have won the day. It's a Plymouth Argyle penalty. Hardy against Aretha Balaga. Down to the left-hand side, and it's saved by Aretha Balaga. Townsend has fired it in, and it is a perfect first game in charge for Frank Lampard at Everton. Superb performance from Manchester City in this second half. Manchester City 4, Fulham 1. Peterborough 2, QPR 0. Goals from Joe Ward and teenager Ricky J. Jones have steered the posh into the fifth round of the FA Cup for the first time in 36 years. Southampton 2, Coventry 1. Half late for the Sky Blues in the second period of extra time. And it finishes Crystal Palace 2, Hartley Paul 0. Kane slides it in. Goal number 300 for Clavin Country. Spurs 3, Brighton 1. Back in field towards oh, Harvey Elliott, wow. who turns and volleys. A wonderful goal. Liverpool love Harvey Elliott, and that is why. It remains 3-1. Zinke Margle back for Spence. Nottingham Forest 4, Leicester City 1. And Boreham Wood of the National League have created the shock of the round. They knock out championship high flyers Bournemouth by a goal to nil. What a weekend. What a competition this is.
Uh, Trevor, we waited for you to speak about Nottingham Forest and Leicester because you were there. They're the only team, Nottingham Forest, from outside the Premier League to knock out the FA Cup holders over the past 13 years. And they've done it twice now. Arsenal in 2018 and yesterday against Leicester. In part, down to a lack of concentration by Brendan Rodgers' team, but also a rip roaring, well-coached first-half performance, Trevor. Yeah, I thought he was outmaneuvered, uh, Brendan Rodgers. I think uh, the system which Steve Cooper put his team into with a three at the back um, suits the players. Um, Jed Spence at the right-hand side was, again, exceptional. But the units throughout the side, you know, the three centre-halves, Joe Worrell, Scott McKenna, Steve Cook, were so good. Uh, the communication between them, uh, when they stepped up in possession, they were great as well. Uh, down the left-hand side, Max Lowe, and, and uh, Zinconago were excellent. And then in, in the middle of the park, uh, James Garner and Ryan Yates were excellent. You know, they were combative. They were getting second balls. I have to say, James Garner's um, set pieces, excellent. very Be- Beckham-esque. I mean, he puts uh, a little bit of spin on him. He, he's got pace. Um, he drops it right in the zone where the attackers know where they're attacking, just, in, just outside the six-yard box to the goalkeeper. Um, can't get anywhere near it. I Would you describe Ward it as played. a bit of swaz that he puts on the ball? Is that what he was I, I said Louis last night. I don't even know where Louis, I got yeah, from. Okay. A bit of Louis. Um, yeah, but yeah. really good set pieces. But um, I think the, the, the star of the show was Brennan Johnson. His yeah. goal, um, his creativity, his clip for the first goal. You know, it was, it, it, was, it, it was one of them where, as a winger, you look at these situations you think, right, the, the fullback's off you a little bit, so you can't really... You can't kind of curl it in. But if you just clip a little six iron towards that back post, and he did that superbly well, his choice of pass at that occasion. And then when it went into the box, Keenan Davis absolutely bullied uh, Suyunchu and Amati. And um, he, he got the knockdown. And it was it was, it was was a tidy finish by uh, Zinconago. But all in all, they were just better. I, th- I think there's a lot of Premier League players in that Nottingham Forest side. And... The fact that Steve Cooper took over this group, same group of players, and they were bottom of the championship, and now they're, they they sit two points outside the playoffs. They've knocked out Arsenal in the previous round, 1-0, which was an excellent performance, which we commentated on as well. And then the performance last night. I think if they can get themselves into the playoff positions, I would back them against anyone in a one-off game. I said to Crookie while I was sitting in the bath watching the game last uh, night after finishing at Liverpool-Cardiff. That's, uh, that's some scene. Yeah. <laughs> might have well, we little, do that quite a lot. A little, oh, a little whiskey on the side as well. I said, I said, I said Crookie, um, I think Steve Cooper's the best coach in the championship. I think he's brilliant. I think he's he's brilliant at getting the best out of young players mm. as well. Look what he's done. I mean, even with Jed Spence. I mean, Jed Spence's story is quite an interesting one in that he was at um, Middlesbrough at the beginning of the season. I think he fell out with uh, Neil Warnock. Didn't get on particularly well. He wasn't going to be playing any of the games. So they said to him, go and find yourself a club. He found himself Nottingham Forest. He's been there for six months. And now, you know... Everyone was thinking, now Warnock's gone at Middlesbrough, they might bring him back in the January transfer window. But he's like, well, I want to stay at Nottingham Forest. Rightly so as well. And I was, I, obviously, you know, uh, Alan Brazil's good friends with uh, Neil. I was hoping that next time we get uh, Neil Warnock on the show to ask him <laughs> what the problem was, because I've only seen him twice live, but I've seen some of his performances from highlights. He's got energy. He's got quality. He's a goal threat. He, he can be a, he can work in that fullback area, but also affect the game in forward areas. And I wanted to ask him why he couldn't find a position for Jed Spence in his team when he was at Middlesbrough. Because from what I've seen and the rumours that I'm hearing, there's a lot of clubs, Premier League clubs, interested in him. He's got everything. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation with Neil. <laughs> 
I, I echo what Trev said on, on Brilliant Johnson. I know Brentford tried really hard to prize him away in January and credit to the Nottingham Forest owners for standing firm on that one. But where does this leave Brendan Rodgers? Leicester having already been dumped out of the Europa League. They are currently 10 points adrift of the European places in the Premier League. Their defence of the FA Cup has been pitiful. I think they capitulated. It was quite a gutless performance from them in the first half. And Leicester's owners do have a bit of history. They, they, they can be ruthless. Yeah, I don't, I don't see them sacking uh, Brendan. But what I did see from the performance from the side was lacklustre. They didn't seem to realise it was a huge occasion in the East Midlands um, community. I think when you look at Siunchu and Amati, I don't think they're Premier League defenders. You know, I know I, I, that might sound harsh because Siunchu in a three can do a job, but in a two there's absolutely no way as a coach I would be trusting him. So, And he did very well last season when he was alongside Johnny Evans, but this season it's been very uh, different. And a lot of people are saying that the mental scars from Turkey's performance in the summer has, uh, mm. have affected him, but ultimately, I mean, that's been going on you, far too long now. You've got to find it within yourself though as a player. But the biggest disappointment for me, and I was bigging him up before the game, was Yuri Tielemans. Now, you look at what he's done in his in, in his career so far, the, the winning goal in the FA Cup final, you know, his performances at, at international level. And then you see the performance that he put out last night. He didn't look bothered. He's got 18 months left on his contract. I think that is a player that is destined to leave Leicester City unless there's massive changes there. Well, this is a key point, And this is was kind of the thing that Brendan Rodgers said afterwards. Like, he was pretty hands up. It was an awful performance. Not enough hunger, not enough... Um, uh, desire to go out and win the game and, and they didn't really seem to have a grasp of the context of the rivalry between Nottingham Forest and Leicester uh, over the course of many many years but he said as well you know there are several players that are fighting for their future and the way he said it was is you have to ask whether or not these players who have achieved some of these players who have achieved great things over the course of the last four or five years can do it on a consistent basis and the reason mm. they're at Leicester City is because they can't. you know. And if you're sitting in that dressing room at Leicester City, maybe there's one or two of you that have achieved FA Cup success and thinking to yourself, well, bearing in mind that this is a club that have won the Premier League only a couple of years ago, they're unlikely to ever be able to repeat that miracle. And then they've also won the FA Cup. We've probably topped out in terms of what we're ever going to achieve as players at this football club. And if you take your foot mm. off the gas, even maybe 5%, this is what happens next. I mean, because Leicester have to play above themselves anyway to win the FA Cup. If they're not doing that on a consistent basis, then they're never going to achieve those sort of honours again. And his suggestion was, is that some of those players in the dressing room didn't have the mentality to keep going to the well and producing performances that were going to get them to that level on a consistent basis. Uh, I'm always a bit suspicious, though, when a manager comes out and says players are playing for their future because players these days are protected by long, well-paid contract. So it's easier said than done. If, he, if he's hinting at some kind of clear out, uh, good luck with that because you have to find some willing sellers. I think in the case of Tillemans, it's pretty clear now that he will leave in the summer. I think he'll probably uh, join Arsenal. His agent has already been uh, London Colney having discussions with the powers that be in North London. So maybe that explains his below-par performances. Yes, they've had defensive issues, but there's no excuse for the way they capitulated once the first goal went in. And, 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 and the number of goals they concede in the air, the number of set-piece set piece goals, goals. They, they concede. Yeah, Wes Morgan was brilliant on this. He was saying, you know, that actually, sometimes, when you know for a fact that you've got a, a weakness defending set-pieces, actually, you can try almost too hard to try and rectify it and you stop mm. doing the things that come natural to you so you end up making even more errors and it compounds the situation you've already got Trevor 
Yeah, listen, I think there's there's no denying that Fafana and Evans are huge misses. Huge. And, you know, you've got two central defenders that are lacking confidence. Is it a bit like when Liverpool lost Van Dijk last a year? A little bit, yeah. I, I would definitely compare it to that. But then you've got Vardy out, who's always a threat. And actually going forward and, and, and the first 15 minutes... Leicester City looked quite dangerous. You know, um, they, they got on the ball. They got the ball out to Luckman, who was lively. Barnes had a couple of little close shaves where he got in good positions and they just didn't get that finishing touch. And he actually was a little bit passive, but he did score a really good goal. Um, and uh, listen, Madison was lively all game. And he was frustrated because he could sense that the players around him weren't quite at it. Um, but I think you look at that game and you know it's a big derby and you know you've got problems with Tielman's I'm not sure I would have played Jewsbury Hall or Chowdhury in there with a little bit more physicality, you know, a little bit more, let's win the second balls, let's do the fundamentals really well. And I just think Brendan's missed the grasp and, and especially with this, the formation, like I mentioned earlier, because they were completely outmaneuvered uh, in that first half. And, you know, the, I think it was a 10 minute spell where they conceded three, three goals. goals yeah. I mean, the second goal, you know, Justin, oh. you know, not taking responsibility on the ball, playing a blind ball back towards Danny Ward, getting into set. I mean, it was a good finish, but these 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 are not Premier League you, players. I mean, you've got to give him a little bit of a leeway, Justin, because he's been out for such a long time and, and he will take time to get up to yeah. speed and awareness and there's a bit of ring rustiness yeah. in there. Um, should we touch on the, the fan disorder? We've talked about it while you were still in mm. bed, uh, but um, we, will, uh, <laughs> we will ask you from a personal point of view because you've been a player, you've been on a yeah. pitch, you were probably around at the back end of the 80s when there were fences up and people were caged behind them. We don't mm. want to return to that. But, you know, as a, as a player... When a fan is coming onto the pitch and throwing punches, is what happened in your game that you were at yesterday. Mm. How concerning is that? How worrying is that? Because it seems to be escalating. No, that's it's, it's ridiculous. You know, any person that goes to work shouldn't have to be worrying about somebody attacking them or assaulting them. I didn't actually, we we were there, it was on the far side where the Leicester City fans were and it was during a celebration, I believe. Yes. We didn't actually see uh, the incident and, and, and no one commentated on it. And, and and then afterwards, I don't even think the TV cameras picked up on it and I think it was a social media post it was, that yeah. picked up on it and the, the, the images are shocking. The images are absolutely shocking and players have got to be protected. And I feel, you know, obviously this is going to go to the courts and it's going to be with the magistrates, but I feel they they need to send a, a really strong message with this and, and, and with the punishment that they give to this individual because it's disgusting behaviour and players need to be protected. They need to know that, that when they cross that white line, that they're in a safe environment. And actually, at the moment, we've seen it happen a few times now, Grealish won um, in that derby against Birmingham. It's got to be stamped out. This you, is not good enough. Do you have to make draconian rules to ensure that the habits which have started to creep back in when mm. people are coming onto pitch are, are quashed out? And what I mean by that is Perry Groves is quite vocal about the fact that anybody who comes onto the pitch for whatever reason gets a custodial sentence straight away. Now, now that sounds like a real heavy-handed response to me to what is a very small minority of people... Yeah committing an offence. But is it that sort of reaction that you as a player would want to feel secure when you go out on, on a playing surface? Yeah, listen, we've, I think when you see that kind of aggression and that kind of assault happen, I think it's very clear to me that has to be put down into that, that, that circumstance where a custodial sentence has to be given. Um, I think at times where a club might 
be underachieving and fans go on, you know, to try and make some kind of um, message to, to the right, owners yes. or to the team. I think that's slightly different as long as they're not in an aggressive way, but it, it, it's very difficult to, to start saying, well, if a, if a fan's going onto the pitch and, and they're remonstrating or demonstrating that they should get a customer. But when we're seeing the scenes that we see last night, and I'm only talking from my own opinion, I think that that should be a jail term. Uh, Everton 4, Brentford 1. What a start for Frank Lampard. They took the lead, Everton. Cue mental celebrations because that's the first time they've gone ahead since October the 23rd. Yes, it's true. Uh, But Yerry Mina's header was built on by Richarlison, who nudged the ball past David Rea. And they even dealt with a setback of Ivan Toney's penalty, Alex. I mean, it's a great start for Frank Lampard. It is, and I think he'll be delighted with the way that the Everton faithful embraced him and have already seemingly taken him to their hearts. I think mainly because he's not uh, Vitor Pereira um, or Rafa Benitez. So um, he's been dealt some quite fortunate cards there. But it, it is the perfect start. It wasn't a surprise. I, I think uh, one of my strongest predictions of the day was that Everton would beat Brentford. I think it was a, a nice tie for Frank Lampard to start with. But four goals at oh, home. Oh, oh, in the first part of, much of more than Thursday's that. podcast, you were slagging off the appointment. Then you had to reverse and say, actually, no, I think it's okay. And now you're saying that you tipped him all along to, to win the FA Cup. This is, is ridiculous. No, no, I tipped him to beat Brentford. And actually, you've alluded to it already, as much as it's a great story for Boreham Wood to get the chance to go to Everton in the next round. If if Everton approached that game in the right way and he names the same sort of team in terms of strength that he did at the weekend, then they'll win that and they're in a cup quarter-final, suddenly one game away from Wembley. So sometimes the manager's circumstances align uh, and uh, they align in your favour. I think that's happening here. But yeah, great start for free. Yeah, I mean, it's better to be uh, a lucky manager than good sometimes, uh, but they were also good. And I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, they had an effect. The coaches that he has brought in mm. and him himself had an effect. And we can we can outline this with the statistics um, from the game. And I was lucky enough to be given sort of like some quite in-depth statistics from the management team at Everton, which show the change of emphasis that they have been able to imprint on the team. They've changed up some key indicators. Possession, average of the season is 40%. They average 55.5% against Brentford. They average 337 passes, which is quite pitiful really over the course of the season. They made 480 during the game against Mm. Brentford. The percentage of those passes that are long on a regular basis is 14%. It was down to 10% during the match. So they're playing a better brand of football. 84 incursions into the final third on average over the season has gone up to 124. You know, they have more shots, more key passes, more penalty box entries. Their tackle percentage success has gone from 41% average over the season to 83% in that game against Brentford. You know, that is those key indicators are showing that there was an immediate impact. How's, yeah, the, how's the job application going for the, the head of comms <laughs> at Goodison Park? Is it all right? <laughs> You've got some contacts, Sam. Um, I'm just looking at the shape now and I'm looking at Holgate on the right, Keane in the middle and Godfrey on the left of a three. I mean, you've got, you, when you talk about round pegs in round holes, they've got players that fit perfectly into a 3-4-3 formation. I think it was crying out for that, for this team. And 
you know, going forward, you've got pace on both wings. I think Anthony Gordon has been absolutely superb Super. this season, played on the right. Richarlison, he's back from injury. You know, a lot of things have fell into line for Frank to, to be able to put this lineup out. Gray's been exceptional all season as well. Hold on though, you've Trevor. Got- you say they've fallen into line. This is a team that, you know, over the course of three months, yeah. have won one game in 14 before this weekend. Yeah, but Rich Allison's been out for a long time. Alan's been out. Mina's been out. Dominic Calvert Loon, he didn't play, has yeah. been out. These are key players that are, are now back in the fold. So I feel but they as were a squad, back in the team at certain points during that period as well, yeah. but they still didn't win any games. No, so. listen, kudos to Frank. I think he has. He has uh, put the f- perfect formation out. I think the chemistry within the side was great. They had a lot of threat. They looked very secure at the back. And um, yeah, I, I've, listen, I, I'm excited for Everton fans because I feel Frank's gone in there. He, he probably feels slightly um, put out by the way that he was released at Chelsea. He's got something to prove. And as we know with Frank, he's got a fantastic personality. You know, he's had difficult times in his career before and he, he will prove people wrong. He's a clever boy. He's got great coaching staff around him and Everton fans, they should be excited. Okay, let's move on to Liverpool against Cardiff. 3-1 victory for Jurgen Klopp's team. Only the second time in his tenure that they've got through to the fifth round of the competition. He's hardly even gone anywhere near the FA Cup before this season. Now they're into the fifth round and they'll probably get to a quarterfinal themselves because they've got Norwich City at home in the next round of the competition. Not that I want to prejudge what's going to happen in round five. It was notable for a great Harvey Elliott goal and the first sight of Luis Diaz, who made the Minamino go after a bit of a hesitation from Perry NG. But should Cardiff have had a penalty mm. in the first half when Ibrahima Kanate challenged Mark Harris from behind? I think they pro- probably should. Um, it, it looked clumsy. Um, Ali McCoyce, your co-commentator, was convinced that it should have been a penalty. I think Roy Keane in the studio uh, and Ian Wright maybe disagreed. But I think had it have been given Liverpool couldn't have really complained and equally with the, the incident involving the goalkeeper coming racing out of his area that was really close to being a red card I think you in commentary said he was probably saved by the fact the tackle wasn't quite high enough for the threshold but again had he have been sent off I don't think Liverpool could have contested the decision so Cardiff will feel they've been a bit unlucky there they gave a really good account of themselves in the first half it was a wonderful uh, headed goal that Yofta scored to open the scoring great delivery once again from Alexander-Arnold the double sub really raised the roof at Anfield because obviously Harvey Elliott's been out for a long time and the crowd were always ready to embrace a big money new sign. He did okay, Diaz, as well. Yeah. Um, I think Jurgen Klopp was quite brutal in his assessment afterwards that he's going to have to get used to the physicality uh, of English football. But it was a good win for Liverpool. when Aidan Flint uh, went up into the end and landed on his knee. I mean, Aidan Flint's about <laughs> six foot nine and they came crushing down on his knee joint. I mean, it was not the most, uh, uh, well, the nicest welcome you could have to English football. Welcome to the Premier League. <laughs> but, the di- but the difference between Liverpool and Chelsea to a certain extent and Manchester City, who, who had a scare home to Fulham compared to Manchester United and Arsenal who are already out they get the job done in a professional manner yeah. against lower division sides but Crookie, they got a great squad the Liverpool, Liverpool we've bemoaned the fact when you and I sat in this pod a year ago moaning that they didn't do enough to bring players through last season to add to the squad that won the title you know look maybe the plan all along with that brilliant recruitment department 
um, headed by a guy we know very well because he was with us at Portsmouth, Michael Edwards, um, when he was just the guy you used to work on. We used to call him Eddie Prozone. He used to sit there with a computer analysing Harry Redknapp's teams <laughs> many, many years ago. Now, now the best sporting director in the world. Um, he, he's he's brought in... Um, maybe maybe he was planning for this all along that they were going to bring through younger players and these targets were going to be drip-fred into the squad and they were just unlucky with the injuries, etc., etc. last season. Maybe Darren Lewis was right all along about that. I don't know. But you look at that squad now. I was preparing for the game last week. I had to prepare for 40 players. 40 mm-hmm. players. Because they use that many. Jurgen Klopp has used 79 players in 18 FA Cup games over the course of his time at the club. They've got a magnificent squad. When you think Gomez, Oxlade Chamberlain had COVID yesterday, couldn't get in, weren't in the squad. Salah, Mane away at the Africa Cup of Nations yesterday. And then you look at the talent that was available to Jurgen Klopp. That was absolutely mouthwatering. They're still fighting on four fronts, Trevor. Yeah, they are. And uh, I agree with you, Sam. They've got they have got really good assets at the football club. Just going back to the Kelleher challenge, um I actually thought it was a red because forget about whether he was last man or not, whether it was a goal scoring situation. I thought it was, he was high enough. I thought it was six studs. I thought the challenge, I looked at the footage and and quite a lot of the um, camera angles, the ball's not even in the picture. The ball is not even in the same post gold as when he made the challenge. He was so late and he knew what he was doing. I think it was a little, it was, it was a little bit cynical because he knew that if he, he got through that challenge, that there was a goal-scoring opportunity. So for me, I think I think the referee got that one wrong. And, you know, it's, it's these bits of luck that you need to get through these difficult spells. And they were having a difficult time at the time, Liverpool. And, um, yeah, I think the referee and VAR got that wrong, which was, uh, again, the consistency is just not there. Um, Julian Ward, by the way, is taking over <laughs> from Michael Edwards in the summer. And I think Liverpool have been quite keen to point out that he's been the assistant to Michael Edwards for a while and he was the one who pushed through the Diaz deal. So I think they're sort of preparing the ground for Ward to take over and uh, to head up what is a very good uh, scouting and uh, recruitment department. Um, Elsewhere, Palace beat Hartlepool. Saints needed an extra time uh, against Coventry City. Stuart Armstrong may be scoring the goal of the round. I mean, there was some swaz on that ball, wasn't there? I mean, what a brilliant goal that was. Yeah, and brilliant for Armstrong as well. It's been a difficult season for him. He spent more time injured than he has playing, but obviously it's a big period for club and country. Uh, He'll be hoping to play a key role for Scotland in the upcoming World Cup playoffs. Uh, Southampton needed the cut run to extend their season really because they're safe in terms of relegation but it did come at a cost with uh, Lianco going off with what Ralph Hasenhutl described afterwards as a quote serious injury and Armando Broja having to be helped off the pitch as well they've got a difficult week ahead with away games at Tottenham and at Manchester United live on TalkSport on Saturday so those injuries couldn't have come at a worse time really Quick word on uh, oh sorry we better say Manchester City thrashed Fulham after an early scare (laughs) Trevor was panicking I bet he wasn't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and Huddersfield edged past Barnsley uh, it means that the fifth round draw looks like this Crystal Palace versus Stoke Everton versus Boreham Wood oh what a fixture um, Liverpool versus Norwich Luton versus Chelsea a repeat of last year's third round uh, Middlesbrough versus Tottenham one of the big games I think in the in the round that'd be quite a good one because Chris Wilder taking on Antonio Conte's team there's a possibility of an upset there uh, Nottingham Forest against Huddersfield Peterborough against Manchester City might be a bit one-sided. Uh, and Southampton <laughs> against West Ham. Another good all-Premier League uh, list. So, uh, look, there's some great fixtures that we could uh, get our teeth into over the course of what I understand is going to be quite a long week. I think there's a possibility of a Monday night game. 
there'll be a lot of games on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday as well. So it could be that they're spreading a lot of the because all of these games are on television, four on the BBC, four on ITV. So they'll try and spread them out as much as possible. So you might get a situation where one kicks off at six, the next one kicks off at eight, that sort of thing going on as well. So it's going to be quite a busy Busy More week of football. football. Loads of football. We don't have enough yeah. football on TV, do we? Just well, get especially when you TV. see the games that we've just seen over this exactly. weekend. Exactly. We want more of it. Absolutely blinding. Yeah, fantastic. And it's good that it's all available on the, uh, on BBC and ITV because you can see it. It's all available on Talk Sports. So you can take it with you wherever you go on the wonderful Talk Sport app as well. We should just touch on, and we haven't mentioned, Burnley nil, Watford nil. And we'll be back on uh, Thursday afternoons, preview all the weekend. No, I'm only joking. Uh, but uh, well done to Roy, by the way, because if there was anything that you could guarantee, it was that after not keeping a clean sheet since August, Watford would definitely keep one in that game after Roy uh, walked in the door. It was a brilliant result for Newcastle United. <laughs> it was it really a great was. shout, Cookie. It, really it, was. Was a, it, was a, it was a great result for, for Newcastle. Not a bad result for Watford, actually, as well, I don't think, because um, it just keeps Burnley down there. Yeah, it was uh, blowing a gale. It was absolutely raining cats and dogs. <laughs> Did you see um, and I was Roy's barmit in the interview afterwards? <laughs> oh. oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, the conditions were appalling. And to be fair, credit both players because they tried to play and there was some good football played. Just lacked a little bit of quality in that was final it? third. Was there? But in general, it, it, yeah, it was a really difficult condition to play in. Um, okay, right. Okay, that was brilliant. Uh, thank you very much for eventually turning up, uh, Trevor. <laughs> Appreciate that. You're a bit like Norwich City. Didn't bother playing uh, for half the season, but now trying to get your act together. Um, uh, Crookie, we'll see you on Thursday as we preview all the weekend's Premier League fixtures and look back at some of the Premier League fixtures that we would already have seen uh, by that point because there is quite a bit of Premier League action uh, between now and then. Uh, thank you very much for downloading the uh, Game Day podcast from TalkSport and keep telling your friends all about what we do. We've got loads of commentary and analysis this week as well so make sure you tune in and uh, on Saturday I think, am I going to Manchester United on Saturday am Manchester United playing Southampton this weekend Crookie yes that I, is Saturday I, I, I just mentioned that just mentioned that about yeah, I wasn't three minutes to you. ago sorry yeah. Yeah. Oh, great, great I, said it was live, I said it was live on TalkSport I'm doing yeah, we're, we're doing that oh, we're me doing and you that. what together yes oh, it's an early kickoff, Trevor set the alarm yeah. Trevor could you be on time for that one that would be really helpful uh, uh, by the way drinks are on me boys as a fine uh, next time we're out Good. When will that Look be? Forward to that. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Very soon, hopefully. We'll, we'll all get there. You'll turn up, what, two hours afterwards? And <laughs> we've had quite a few already. Right, that's it by from us. Way, by the way, Go on. Are we, have we finished? Well, I'm trying to end it, but, you know. Okay, you know should we end it now? Right, okay, okay. You, all right, he'll tell us that secret story off there. <laughs> and we'll show you about it on Thursday. <laughs> The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.